Welcome to Paid in Puke, a podcast where three women with names discuss movies about something other than a man. Paid in Puke is hosted by Annie Malone, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. It's also a spoiler-filled free-for-all. You've been warned. On this episode of Paid in Puke, we're sinking our claws into Tim Burton's 1992 comic book sequel, Batman Returns, starring Michelle Pfeiffer and nobody else. (laughs) Why are we doing a Batman movie on a feminist podcast? Well, number one, this is really a Catwoman movie. And number two, the screenplay is primarily attributed to a guy who wrote a little movie we like to call Heathers. His name is Daniel Waters. <laughs> and I'm Jessica Baxter. I'm Christina Barr. I'm Annie Malone. And joining us to plumb the depths of this sexy hot mess is the Daniel Waters. Oh my god. <laughs> so honored. We are beyond honored to have you on this podcast. You are definitely our first cis male guest, and you may be the only cis male guest we ever have. Oh my god. You Jackie, Robin, Jackie Robinson of Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking barriers, I love it. <laughs> you went right through that glass ceiling. <laughs> I love his God. Let's go get a slushy. Is it alright if we start with some Heather's questions? Absolutely, it's the one thing I can answer. It's your turn, Heather. Now, Heather, it's Heather's turn. Heather. Sorry, Heather. So Heather's obviously influenced a million movies that came after it, but what influenced Heather's? Yes, I got polite thank yous, but no money. (laughs) (laughs) Joss Whedon, Kevin Williamson, the guy who created Desperate Housewives, they all give me warm hugs without giving me any of their money. (laughs) I think Joss Whedon in particular owes you some reparations. His his hug was a little unpleasant. (laughs) (laughs) So what influenced Heather's? I have to take you back to a time that you may vaguely remember, there used to be a time where the only teen films were John Hughes teen films, which I like, which I enjoy. I get pleasure out of them. Definitely a lot of hot props and John Hughes comedies, but um, it's all there was for the teen genre. So it was almost like, it's funny, I think I would have been satisfied being a film critic since I see every movie that comes out, but it was like, wait, is the only way we're going to get a different kind of teen film is if I write it? That's the belief I had. So I'm a big believer in naivete. So I thought, I'm going to write the great teen film. My high school was kind of dazed and confused. It was a little laid back. It was not as harsh as my younger sister. Who claims to be a Veronica. Everybody claims to be a Veronica. They're all, they're all <laughs> Heathers. Every Heather claims they were the Veronica. I don't believe them. <laughs> we can't all be Veronica. My, my sister was an excellent forger. I can get some good stuff from her, and I thought, okay, I can do this. There's a director I love, Stanley Kubrick. I don't know if you're aware of him, but he makes, like, the, the greatest films of every genre, like the greatest science fiction film, 2001, arguably the greatest horror film, The Shining, the greatest war film, Full Metal Jacket. But 
I thought if I just finish a script, he's going to direct my teen film because he wants to make the greatest teen film. <laughs> so I had very lofty ideals working in a video store in Neckham Park. So it just came from that. And I knew if I was going to do a high school movie, it had to take place with women deep in the power structure. I didn't want to do a movie about an outcast. And when it comes to high school and pretty much the rest of life, women are chess and boys are checkers. So it's much more interesting if you come in that way. Does it not bother you that everybody in this school thinks that you're a piranha? Like I give a shit. They all want me as a friend or a fuck. I'm worshipped Westerberg. And I'm only a junior. I'm certainly not an unblemished feminist. It's my problems you could dig up if you <laughs> look hard enough. But I always thought a female protagonist and even Catwoman, making Catwoman the focus of Batman Returns, I crave originality. That's what it comes to. That's why I wanted to do Heather's. I wanted to do an original team film. And if you make your protagonist female, you're already starting on second base as far as originality is concerned. Everything skews differently. That's very true. So you write Heathers and then it's made. What in that movie is the most how you pictured it when you were writing it? And what's the most different from how you imagined it when you were writing it? You know what I mean? Definitely what was working for me was the the satire, the jock's funeral. I mean, I lo- couldn't get a better line delivery than I love my dead gay son. <laughs> my son's a homosexual and I love him. I love my dead gay son. I'm a very slow writer. Like people think, how do you come up with these lines? Because other writers, writer's block is a good day for me. Like, <laughs> I came up with a sentence today. I killed it. So it was a painstaking process. And then you write that dialogue. You're always a fear that they're not going to deliver naturally. That it's going to come up too arch and too painful, which for a lot of people it is. I love, and I think you guys do too, that at least 35% of people watch Heather's hate it. <laughs> and that makes the other 65% love it even more. And I always think it's, it's good. If everybody's having a good time, where's the fun in that? That's always been my philosophy. But one thing that was better in the movie than the script was the character of Veronica. And Veronica was a little more dark, a little more aware of what she was doing. Mm-hmm. And Winona just brought such emotion to it and such just inherent likability. Mm-hmm. that I end up not softening it, but just making it an actual person. And like I said, I'm giving you unsatisfying answers of how I came up with that is because it is all in the head. I mean, oh, I'm going to change the teen genre. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But I needed Winona and the other actors to actually, wait, these are about real high school people. And by making it more real, putting some flesh and blood in the game makes everything better. Makes the satire richer. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. best friend and your worst enemy same difference what are we gonna tell the cops fucking if she can't take a joke sarge scores to San Quentin instead of Stanford. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely seen movies where the screenplay isn't that good, but the actors elevate it and vice versa, where you can tell it's a good screenplay, but they ruined it with the casting. Yeah, we dodged some bullets. You guys are you guys are crazy though. Keep pointing the guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey almost had the role. Where was that? 
I don't think that's... That's, that's not true. true. No, that's not true. <laughs> One story is that we had a reading of the script, and we had a friend of ours bring somebody from their acting class to read J.D., and he kind of had a couple pimples, and he was a little laconic, and he was a little slowly paced, but he was fun. He was great. At the end of the read-through, he goes, hey, man, I know I'm not anybody, but for what it's worth, that was brilliant. And so for some, for some reason, me and my brother, we took that line upon ourselves, like when we see a movie, hey, man, I know I'm not anybody, for what it's worth, that was brilliant. <laughs> cut to, I write another script, a satire of modeling, tragically never got made, and director Pettis was going to direct it. We should have done this instead of out the knock, but that's another story. Um, but we had to meet with Brad Pitt. Brad, it's great to meet you. And Brad's like, meet you? Don't you remember me, guys? I was in the region of Heather. So it's like, oh my God, Brad Pitt was the, I'm knowing not anybody, but what is worth a brilliant guy. Oh my wow. God. <laughs> so you said that he tried out for the role. He never actually tried out for the role, but he came in for that reading and he did fine without us. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I guess so. Although I cannot picture him. I mean, did you think that he was brilliant when he read it? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't picture um, it. Where's your Jack Nicholson impression? I don't get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Since we can't de-age Jack Nicholson yet, we have to get a perfect proxy. One thing that I wanted to ask was about, well, you were saying the genre was mainly John Hughes movies and... One thing that I really love so much about Heather's is portraying teenage life in this, like, it's satire, but also, like, a lot of the personalities are these archetypes that exist outside of high school and beyond high school as you go through life. And even, like, with the teachers and, like, the politics. <laughs> now, is this Heather the cheerleader? That would be Heather McNamara. Oh, damn. I'd be willing to go half a day for a cheerleader. I just loved the authenticity of school faculty in high school. I thought it was so perfect. And the parents and all of that. And I wondered how you approached well, writing that. Well, there's a French term that I can't remember the French. It's something l'escalier, but it translates to the wit on the staircase. Like when you're at a party and you're talking to someone and you want to impress them and then you just can't come up with the right words, then going down the stairs after the party comes the perfect thing you should have said to them. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first script I ever wrote, and I was obsessed with making sure every, everybody always had the perfect line, which is many times not great writing. Like, I still get, like, nobody talks like that, but I try to get a higher truth. So everybody, even the teachers, is like, how can I heighten this reality to make it still reality, but something dark and fun like some people try to be realistic documentary approach to high school like i'm not interested in that let's go something silly and disconnected from high school with science fiction we have a time travel machine i didn't want to do that but there's a third element where you contrast the reality with the weird like when they're expecting reality you give them weird when they're expecting weird you give them the reality so it's like is this real you're in my world that was the goal even the cops are <laughs> every, every profession is silly man. I mean, unfortunately, I think I was a bad influence. It seemed like every film after that was a little smarter and a little funnier than maybe they'd be in real life. But it's entertaining, I guess. And it becomes better, too, because, I mean, I remember that me and my friends would quote Heathers in high school, so it kind of becomes part of the vernacular. <laughs> right. Now it is so, how teenagers are. Yeah, I'm glad I'm improving conversation real life. <laughs> <laughs> creating better conversation. That's the thing I love about Heathers is that there's people who don't get it and don't like it, 
And that means the people who do, they bond together and they, they find their people even faster. Like I know people who go to a new school and they heard somebody quoting Heather's and suddenly they're friends for life, which is great. If I can tell my favorite story in this regard. Please. Somebody came up to me after the screening, a guy and a gal, and they talked about they were on a double date with different boyfriend, different girlfriend. They all tethered together on a double date. Her boyfriend and his girlfriend hated the movie. They just started talking about how much they hated the movie. And then they just looked at each other. It was like they almost broke up right then, and they started going out like two days later. <laughs> I don't want to win an Oscar. I just want to create new couples. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can't date yeah, someone that doesn't like Heather's. Right. You know you created a good movie if you're ending bad relations isn't creating better ones. <laughs> you're practically a god. <laughs> <laughs> I just had it on again today in the background and something you were saying earlier about Veronica. So when they have that argument after they kill Kurt and Ram. If we're both, I'm such an idiot. Look, you believed it because you wanted to believe it. Your true feelings were too gross and icky for you to face. I did not want them dead. You did too. I did not. What do you think? Like, do you think she knew they were really killing them? Yeah, you guys talked about that. And I was like, oh boy, they're going to bring this up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ick Luga Bullets is not my finest piece of writing. It's pretty funny, though. Uh, yeah, I think somewhere she knows. Mm -hmm. I mean, love Michael Lehman, great guy, good friend. I hate that scene because they run around the woods for like a half hour. Like, what are they doing? <laughs> It's supposed to be just really quick because you guys were talking about when she shoots him. <laughs> it seems like, okay, so she's pretty much figuring out these bullets are not what they're cracked up to be. And then she shoots him anyway. Right. Like, and the script is much tighter. He runs around one tree and then she reflects and shoots him. So your mind's not let to linger on what she's really going to. But I think everything he says is right, that you believed it because you wanted to believe it. Yeah, I think so too. I was interested too, like, because earlier when they're writing the suicide note and talking about Marriott, and he kind of won that argument of like, <laughs> where does a badge for her failures in school? Yeah. That's good, but Heather would never use the word Marriott. This is the last thing she'll ever write. She's going to want to cash in on as many 50 cent words as possible. Yeah, but she missed Marriott on the vocab test two weeks ago. That only proves my point more. The word is a badge for her failures at school. Oh. Like, I hate how right he is. <laughs> I have to remind myself he's bad because he's so charming and smart. Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to make him all psycho all the time. Mm -hmm. He's got to have some game. Right. I mean, it was just perfect casting because that is just exactly who Christian Slater was. Like, the cute, sort of dangerous guy. I mean, I don't know if that's who he was in real life, but that's the guy that he played at the time, and that was what he's known for. Yeah, I may have been swayed a little bit by critics saying they did too much Jack Nicholson. <laughs> but, but seeing the film years later, I'm like, no, he's why the movie works. It's like, he's he's great. And who cares about Jack Nicholson? When we're in the editing room, his Jack Nicholson impression was more intense and we thought we'd cut it out by the time the movie came out. Like, oh, guess we didn't get that one, nip that one in the butt. <laughs> I feel like it works because I bet that JD loves Kubrick and probably is a fan of Kubrick's directing methods. Yeah, yeah, no, it was kind of the pre-CGI days, but we kind of CGI to host with the shine in his bedroom when he's, are you ready for dinner, Dad? And when he's making the dynamite. I always thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> 
pull a George Lucas and put some extra stuff in there. I know you also said about the costuming and the coloring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They all have their signature colors. Well, that was me, baby. All right. Nice. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah no i've i've learned even with heathers and batman returns and some of my other things this is advice to all the writers out there think of the halloween costume your character is oh. your film will live forever with a good halloween costume so it's always good to think about what they actually look like and if somebody will go as it for halloween God, that's so oh, true wow. I, love yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> I love that all right should we talk about batman returns are we going to prom or to hell From the sewers of Gotham, a new villain emerges. You didn't invite me, so I crashed! From the rooftops of Gotham, the perfect enemy comes to life. save this city is a creature of the night. Hey, stud. I thought we had something together. We do. While she craves a romance, she can sink her claws into... You're getting into a girl like me. He plots a foul reign of destruction. My dear penguins, thanks to Batman, the time has come to punish all of Gotham! Above Gotham looms its greatest hero. Okay, so I just want to start by saying that Batman Returns was another extremely formative movie for me. Oh, good. I, I didn't know what I'm stepping into. <laughs> I mean, recognize that it has problems. It's what the kids would call a oh, problematic fave. Yeah, I forgot a long hot prop set. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but that Catwoman just changed my life. I was just obsessed. And every line that she says is so iconic to me. And I wanted to make Life's a Bitch Now, So Am I, my senior quote, but they wouldn't let me. Oh, that's the best I have known. <laughs> but it has a lot going for it. It's hilarious. It's weird. It's horny. <laughs> I know horny is one of my least favorite words, but there's no getting around that it's a horny movie. There's yeah. no better word, I think. Horny, we just have yeah. to embrace horny, I think. <laughs> I embrace it for sure. <laughs> Who's the man behind the bed? Maybe you can help me find the woman behind the cat. No, that's not you. So the origin story, as I understand it, is that you met with Tim Burton to discuss a Beetlejuice sequel, and then he hired you for this instead. <laughs> What's it all in one theory? Oh, your Beetlejuice is so bad, we're going to let you do that, man. <laughs> 
And then they took your script for this and brought in another guy, Wesley Strick, to make a shooting hey, script? Wesley Strick. Yeah, Wesley Strick came in and made it less weird, which it needed to be. Mm-hmm. He gave it that firstborn of Gotham City plot and online, but whatever. I mean, you're not having me on the show for anything Wesley Strick did, let's put it that way. Because uh, that yeah. one was all me. <laughs> I love the way he introduced the movie, because that's definitely the way I look at it, too. <laughs> I mean, it's how I won the job, because I... I'm not a huge comic book fanatic. I definitely was not, I mean, as you can tell by the amount of screen time he has, I was not a Batman worshiper. The Batman (laughs) I wrote was much more cynical and verbal. Mike Keaton, to his credit, would go through my script and go, too clever, too clever, too (laughs) funny. Batman's not funny. When Batman wears a suit, he can't do jokes. He, like, wants to talk in one syllables, which, I mean, he had the character down. And I think he's great in the movie, even though he's not in. (laughs) I love it. He plays him as, like, a meathead, kind of. (laughs) I came into this. He had already gotten a script from another writer, Sam Hamm, that had Penguin and Catwoman in it, but it was just kind of a old-fashioned adventure yarn and like a heist, and Tim didn't want to have anything to do with it. I mean, it just was not for him. I mean, a lot of the writing Batman turns is like, what can I do to please the mythical prince on his throne and make him laugh and make him smile? Because you got to engage Tim like almost like getting the ball yarn. <laughs> um, and so I came in knowing some of Catwoman's backstory that I wanted her to start at the bottom. I wanted her to be a, a homemade supervillain, like Batman has the closet full of bat suits and a huge spectacular cave, and she's reaching under pizza boxes in her car to get their Catwoman outfit out. Like, <laughs> that's like one of the first images I had. And then I started talking like this, and he starts drawing this sewy, stitchy Catwoman. I'm like, yeah. Okay, his, his pen is moving, his pen is moving. I got something going on. It's working, it's working. Oh yeah, the DIY-ness of her costume is so fantastic. <laughs> yeah. When did you decide it was going to be a Christmas movie? That was weird. It was so casual. <laughs> like, I know Tim likes Christmas. I think Tim's original idea was to take place in Christmas. I'm like, well, I don't know. Then I thought... Oh, but they can kiss under mistletoe and start getting horny. (laughs) (sighs) A kiss under the mistletoe. You know, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. A kiss can be even deadly. And then, yeah, then it all opened up a lot of things. Like, it was actually very helpful. We can do tree lighting ceremony. We can, I mean, it's so funny. It's a Christmas movie that got released in June of 1992. (laughs) (laughs) And we're talking about it in uh, May. What is it? (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's good. I like an (laughs) untraditional Christmas movie. Yeah. It's nice. That kind of little genre of like, maybe it's going to take place at Christmas. Now it plays every Christmas around town, like in different theaters. And I'm like, okay. It's like the Halloween costume associated with a major holiday. Yeah. Like, give your film life. The culture is definitely embracing backdoor Christmas movies. No one wants to watch a Christmas story anymore. <laughs> we need something else. Probably, you know, even like others, even more than others, it was hated by a lot of people when it came out. Batman fans would tell us everything we did wrong about Batman, even though I can't even tell you, I can't communicate how crazy it was that it really was me and Tim alone in a room coming with ideas. Like, now to write a superhero movie, you have to stand before a tribunal and have people shout at you for 20 minutes every day for what you're doing wrong. And we were just two guys like, yeah, let's make Penguin a mutant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
he was an ugly gangster in the TV show, but why don't we just go full mutant on him? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and I think a lot of a lot of Batman fans weren't inundated with superhero movies, so when ours came out, they were much more angry about how we betrayed Batman. But now that there's been 20 Batman movies and 50 <laughs> superhero movies, like I think people are going back to it like, hey, at least that one was different. Right. It is yeah. something different. It's like when it's 50 hamburgers, something like, you know, I, I'm going to try sushi tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a new profile. The cream is rising to the top. I'd like to drink. Well, let's talk, uh, let's talk hot probs. Ooh, hot probs. Shut up. Hot probs is on. Oh, shit, yeah. Oh, no, already? Already we're done with the good stuff? Don't worry, there's lots yeah, of good right. stuff. We'll get up to meaningful passages. My hot oh, meaningful passages, yay. My hot probs are definitely not Batman-related. It's definitely my favorite Batman movie. The only other one I really liked was the one that just came out with Robert Pattinson. I liked that one, too. So I guess oh, I like I, ones I, that aren't very true to the comic books. You were saying that what was added in was the Penguin revenge plot, and one of my problems is that I just don't even understand what his plan is. It's really confusing. I may have saved the mayor's baby, but I refuse to save a mayor who stood by helpless as a baby while Gotham was ravaged by a disease that turned Eagle Scouts into crazed clowns and happy homemakers into cat women. Yeah, Oswald Cobblepot, the mystery man beast who's been romancing Gotham, today made his bid to run Gotham. These are the names of the firstborn sons of Gotham City, just like I was. And like me, a terrible fate waits for them. Tonight, while their parents party, they'll be dreaming away in their safe cribs, their soft beds, and we will snatch them, carry them into the sewer, and toss them into a deep, dark, watery grave. Um, Penguin? Killing sleeping children. Isn't that a little, uh... Wesley's trick. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna say that whenever something bad happens. I'm gonna hang Wesley's trick out to dry their not problem. I don't get that thing either. I don't know. I don't know. And definitely some of Penguin is a little too much, but I do love you may not know that there's a lot of other movies that have the line in Elephant Man and Raging Bull they have the line, I'm not an animal, I'm a human being. So Tim again, pleasing Tim. Tim just loved the line that I created. My name is not Oswald. It's Penguin. I am not a human being. I am an animal. The embracing of the animal side was such a joy dip. I mean, usually I'm the weirdest one in the room. So like me and Tim, it was like Rain Man with two Dustin Hoffmans. <laughs> People didn't know how to deal with us, but I knew what pleased him. Yeah, I love that line. I definitely got the Elephant Man reference. We're big Lynch fans. And I like that it's a callback, too, to him saying earlier he's trying to convince everyone that he's a human. It's not what it's cracked up to be, being a human. When teenagers complain that they want to be treated like human beings, it's usually because they are being treated like human beings. Yeah, well, I guess I picked the wrong time to be a human being. I recognize that that was Tim's secret theme of humanizing the monster and monsterizing the human. That's why the true villain in the movie is Donald Trump in the role of Christopher Walken. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this power plant is my legacy. It's what I leave behind for Chip. 
nothing must prevent that. Capitalism. It's capitalism is the true villain. And also, I feel like performative democracy is a big villain. <laughs> Mayor. Mayor. Max, elections happen in November. Is this not late December? Don't worry about it. I love it. <laughs> God damn you, performative democracy. <laughs> you fooled me again. A problem I have with Batman as a person is that he has way too much faith in the police. Right. That drives me crazy about him. He's always like, let's just uh, wait for the police to clean this up. And it never works out. Yeah. Well, weird. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Let's just take him to the police. Then we can go home. Together. Well, I like the the police have no faith in him. Like, Penguin puts, like, a bat thing in the girl's trailer. and like, okay, Batman's the killer. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the roof when she drops the hero. So he starts shooting him. He's obviously the real villain. Like, what? Not going to give Batman the benefit of the doubt? <laughs> that kind of tracks, though, that the cops would be looking for a patsy. Superhero stuff is just not my thing that much in general, but Batman is such a weird superhero because he has, like, no powers. <laughs> He's, like, just this guy. He's like, a rich guy. Right. <laughs> With a lot of time on his hands. Yeah, I mean, that's what I like about him. I, I'm not a Superman fan. Well, what's the big deal? He can just do everything. The first movie, he turns back to Globe and turns back time. Why does he just do that every day? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like every time something happens. happens. <laughs> Superbad sucks. Well, I mean, my kind of hero is Catwoman. I love the anti-hero. She's chaotic and neutral. We'll, we'll get to it, but I love the Catwoman movie I wrote, but apparently I was the only one. I guess a nitpicky one for me was leaving a commercial on your answering machine. That doesn't happen. Hello, Selena Kyle. We're just calling to make sure you've tried Gotham Lady perfume. One whiff of this at the office and your boss will be asking you to stay after work for a candlelight staff meeting for two. Gotham Lady Perfume, exclusively at Rex Department. That may have been me. <laughs> I, went, I wanted Gotham Lady Perfume. I wanted a perfume ad. I'm so sorry. Well, that's okay. I just wonder why I wasn't on the radio or like the TV or just the answering machine was confusing to me. Well, you can get those calls. They still do those kind of calls. They did them more in the 90s, I guess. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, that's just... Huh, okay. I retract that then. I guess I wasn't taking those sorts of calls. You gotta get her mad. She's gotta knock that O and that T and take hello there to hell here. Oh, God, I love it. I love it. Now, did you have a hot prob with her saving the girl from the mugger and then turning on the girl? Thanks. I you make it so easy, don't you? Always waiting for some bad man to save you. I am Catwoman. Oh, yeah. I mean, a little bit, except that I also feel like that was the culture. I mean, it's very believable that she would shame the victim because she's obviously a product of misogyny before she really blossoms. Yeah, I just didn't want her to be a pure heroine. Yeah. Okay. I like the little nasty bits that she does have. I have an overall problem with what people call a strong female character nowadays, especially in action and superhero movies where they think a strong female character is somebody that acts like a man and can take out a bunch of hitmen on a staircase. And like, to me, a strong female character has got some female in her, that it's more complex and interesting. And what I love about Catwoman, Catwoman's not trying to win the big game. She's trying to destroy the game. She's trying to bring everything down. And her plan is anarchy, which I think 
makes her different than like Captain Marvel or somebody, female character like that, where everything she does is right and just and beautiful. I just think it's more interesting. It really is. And you really nail the essence of Catwoman. I don't know if that's who she was in the comics before because I didn't start to read the comics until after this movie yeah, came she, out. But... She's much more of a male fantasy figure than the comics. Yeah. She's got great lines, maybe, but I always thought she was a little too much. She has people that she likes, that she wants to save and protect. But for the most part, she really is, like you said, an agent of chaos. Like, she's just so tired of the world that she wants to burn it all down and maybe yeah, get some, steal some diamonds that. on the way. When we were kids, my brother and I used to watch the show Batman and Catwoman. We were never sure, like, is she supposed to be a villain or another superhero? Like, <laughs> never sure about that. Those are the most interesting yeah, characters. <laughs> no, I don't know why I never found the Catwomans in the Batman TV show sexy. I guess they were too much like my mom's friends that they scared me. <laughs> Your mom had hot friends. Mom, my, huh? mother, my mother's a bridge partner. <laughs> was Eartha Kids? I know. <laughs> Your mom's friends look like Eartha Kids. That would be great. Yeah, my mom and Eartha Kid. Yeah, she's uh, she's my second favorite Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Just in delivery, not the story. They didn't write any good stories for her, but definitely, the definitely. essence of her is wonderful. Next call. Oh, I guess I have a question. Do you know what Dirty Limerick Alfred is thinking of? <laughs> In fact, he makes me feel the way I hope I really am. No. <laughs> Could you just make up a sonnet or something, a Dirty Limerick? One has just sprung to mind. <laughs> no, I do not, but I do like that line. That is pretty funny. <laughs> he delivers it quite nicely. Yeah, he's really good. He's very low-key, under-celebrated Alfred, I think. Why are you still out? Are you concerned about that strange, heroic penguin person? Cold. It's fishy swell, sir. It's supposed to be cold. Those are kind of my favorite where, where it's them out of costume. Of course, my favorite scene, which was something I pitched in like the first meeting, was we gotta have a costume party where they're the only ones not wearing costumes. We take off our costumes. I guess I'm tired of wearing masks. Me too. Let me ask you something. Why'd you come tonight? You first. See you. That's lovely. And I really wish I could say the same, but I came for Max. What do you mean, you and... Not you and Max. <laughs> No. no, this and Max. Oh, that's so yeah. effective. That is awesome. That was, that was another Tim like waking up like, yes, I know how to do that. Visual, I understand. <laughs> I guess there's a couple lines that the penguin delivers, sure. sort of like the crypt keeper. Like they're kind of punny jokes that don't really land for me. Like they wouldn't put me on a pedestal. So I'm laying them on a slab! Welcome to the Oswald Cobblepot School of Driving. Gentlemen, start your screaming! Sure. <laughs> oh. I, yeah, I mean, they're not all winners. That's funny because I'm doing the Gentlemen Start Your Screaming podcast next. <laughs> well, there's fans for everything. With a bunch of dudes. For the... <laughs> That's not surprising. <laughs> this is more of like a movie 
Hollywood hot prod, but like when someone is supposed to be like this lonely loser and she's fucking beautiful. <laughs> no, no, you wait a minute now because I don't think she's, she's a complete loser. You can tell she's got a sense of humor. Back from more sexual escapades, refuse to share. Hmm? Not that I'd ever pry. What? How can anyone be so pathetic? Yes, to you I seem pathetic, but I'm a working girl. Gotta pay the rent. Oh, yeah, she yeah. did. No, I love I mean, her. Even when her boyfriend calls her cancel a date. Selena, about that Christmas getaway we planned, I'll be going alone. Dr. Shaw says I need to be my own person and not an appendage. Some appendage? Hey, she's got a boyfriend. And she, she's very funny about it. I think she definitely downtrodden. I'll cop to a little guilt, but I wasn't quite like, oh, now she's beautiful. I think she's a likable, great person from the get-go, and that she just becomes herself even more. But she's definitely in a pathetic position. Yeah. yeah. I guess I felt like you're just supposed to think she's kind of, like, pathetic in the beginning. And she's calling herself pathetic all the time. She's right. like, there's a lot of negative self-talk. Yeah, she's like, honey, I'm home. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we're just buying into her own negative self-image. That's so me that I think, it, oh, it can't be a negative self-image. I do it all the time. <laughs> oh, I guess I do. <laughs> But what I have so many more of, besides hot props, is meaningful passages. I've already started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Mopey Dick, if you know what I mean. All right, it's always good when you come to page get the more meaningful passages than hot props. It's a good sign. Uh, where to start, even? I love their meat cute. That's so great. The Selena and Batman. <laughs> the alley, he rescues her, and then she tases that guy extra, and she has that line about, that was brief. Wow. The Batman. Or is it just Batman? Uh, your choice, of course. Well, that was very brief. Just like all the men in my life. What men? Well, then again, there's you, but you need therapy. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Oh my god, it's gotta stop me if I... I agree, that is a meaningful passage. <laughs> well, do you have a favorite line, Daniel, that you wrote in the script? It's okay well, to toot your own horn. You hit it right off the bat, that life's a bitch now, so am I. When that line came to me, that that was like, okay. Gentlemen start your screaming. <laughs> that life, life's a bitch, now so am I. Like, okay, I get the movie now. I'm a woman and can't be taken for granted. Life's a bitch. Now so am I. Yeah, that's her right. That's her mission statement, basically. <laughs> the whole scene where she's trashing the department store is so fucking delightful. Oh, I just yeah. love her skipping around in there. Yeah. And then when the security guards try to stop her. You poor guys. Always confusing your pistols with your privates. Don't hurt us, lady. Our take-home's less than 300. You're overpaid. That's so funny. <laughs> like Winona, she definitely brings a lot to the party. Not that I don't think the lines are brilliant and meaningful, but she just takes them to the level. Absolutely, God. <laughs> I like when Selena and Bruce are on their, like, sort of awkward date at his place. And, I mean, I just love that they're so attractive and have such chemistry, but also are so awkward together. 
in that scene. That's really charming. It is. Yeah. Girlfriend? Sure. Oh, you mean, uh, had some serious, uh, no, had one, didn't work. What went wrong? Hang on, I think I know. You kept things from her. No, told her everything. Huh? And the truth frightened her? Well, there are two truths. No, and she had trouble reconciling them because I had trouble, um, Reconciling them. I love that they've got to hide their wounds from each other that they caused. Each other. You can't do that. Neither can I. Yeah. The wound on Selena's arm is so much grosser than it needs to be, but I love it. <laughs> it is really gross, and it looks it's like, like you it, should really get that looked at. I know. <laughs> I was gonna say it looks infected at some point. <laughs> I think probably my favorite Batman line, or I guess it's a Bruce line, is when he's telling Alfred. Tell Selena, you know, Miss Kyle in there. Tell her, uh, tell her I had to go to town. Tell her there's a big business deal came up. No, you know what? Tell her, let her know that nuns I'm gonna dumb be my girlfriend kind of way. I will relay the message. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love that you're tiptoeing in the minefield and not quoting Wesley's trick lines. You're quoting my lines. So, uh, <laughs> it's a victory. See, Wesley did a good job of, you know, making it more normal. I tried to have no references to pop culture in the movie. Like, I wanted Gotham City to be its own world. And he put a love connection joke in there. Love connection joke. That was a dated joke even then. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a real age test if you remember Love Connection. Come on, man. That kind of reminds me yeah. of Saved by the Bell. A funny thing about it was how you could totally tell it was written by 40-year-olds because of the references the teenagers made. So bizarre. <laughs> I wouldn't touch you to scratch you. It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> Here you come into the bedroom twitching your little tail my slippers in one hand a dry martini in the other oh please i wouldn't touch you to scratch you you lousy minx well i like the way yeah. christopher walken says when he's like i feel almost vulgar in this yuletide context <laughs> <laughs> he's funny because i actually meant the character to be much more boring i wanted to really do the contrast of like the boring politician that you don't pay attention to is the true evil but christopher walken's like Dan DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer are having way too much fun. I'm going to go crazy too, so. He went full walk-in, but it definitely works. It's probably one of the few things he can't do is be boring. <laughs> be subdued, yeah. 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 <laughs> Point is, Max, Gotham City has a power surplus. I'm sure you know that. My question is, what's your angle? Power surplus, Bruce. Shame on you. No such thing. One can never have too much power. If my life has a meaning, that's the meaning. Yeah, well, I'm going to fight you on this, and I've already spoken to the mayor, and we see eye to eye. Mayors come and go. Blue bloods tire easy. You think you could go 15 rounds with Muhammad Shrek? Indeed, <laughs> indeed. I love his line, uh, give the Constitution a rest, it's Christmas. <laughs> You're violating the First Amendment, abridging the freedom of the press. Wait a minute. What about the freedom to rediscover your roots? With dignity and privacy. Give the Constitution a rest, okay? It's Christmas. That's strict. That's a strict one? Okay, well, you know, he got one. <laughs> <laughs> I like the penguin when he says to Batman, ah, the direct approach. I admire that in a man with a mask. I love that. Sweet burn. <laughs> yeah. 
And just, you know, Catwoman hand-springing towards Batman and just, like, the meow. Oh, oh iconic. So, right before the building explodes? Yeah. And then Jesus the building explodes. It's, like, <laughs> so perfect. Meow. Yeah, that's definitely meow, period. It was like, okay, every Catwoman's going to be able to Because that's the way I envisioned it completely. And I'm glad that she got that because, <laughs> you know... If she would have done it even a little more over the top, it would have ruined it. She perfectly balances, more than any other Catwoman, the cat-like personality traits and being a person. (laughs) It's really over the top when she's like actually licking herself on the bed. But the rest of the time, it's just the demeanor that she nails. Like, she's really got that cat-like personality. (laughs) I mean, I think she, her character and herself, the way she's doing it, what weirds people out it, it freaks people out like people go oh the movie's so dark and weird and like yeah the other Batman movies are even darker like they blow up football stadiums and children's hospitals but I think more people are more disturbed by a woman licking a man's face than they are like incredible violence that I think it gets under their skin even more and it thrills some people and freaks other people out mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it mm, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. Ugh, yeah. Have you you seen the film of the little kids on the talk show, like, complaining about Batman Returns of how frightening it was? No. No. (laughs) Oh, it's it's worth thinking up. It's great. It came out at the time. And the things you say, this is different than other scary movies. I saw Terminator 2, that was nothing. Some parents contend that Batman Returns, which is rated PG-13, is actually being marketed for younger children, and the movie is just too violent. Let's get an expert opinion on that from USA Today's junior movie critic, 10-year-old Danny Slasky. It was very violent. It was a total attack against kids, the whole movie. Everything that kids love was being used against them. Like what? Clowns. Even the penguin had a ducky boat. And things that kids could identify with. Presents and mobiles. All that type of stuff were using to hurt kids and capture kids. Penguin's total goal was to hurt kids. You think it was scary then? I was actually a little bit scared, and I have never been scared of a movie like this before. I came out of Terminator 2, fine. Like, oh my god, you're right. That's brilliant. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> we took all the child's stuff and ruined it for you. You get it. <laughs> I saw it twice to get a real good view of it. And the second time I saw it's it... It's his I... job, no snickering. He had to see it twice, right? I mean, that is kind of a Tim Burton signature, too. It's a dark fairy tale sort of story. Yeah, it's something I like to do. Like, even Heather's, like, I try to lull you in with the cliche of, like, oh, he's a rebel boyfriend? Okay, this is going to be great. Nothing, nothing wrong here. <laughs> I've seen this movie before a hundred times. Then that's when you got him. Yeah, it's funny, just going back to Heather's too, like, because people talk a lot about, like, what you couldn't make today, you know, and usually they just mean, like, because you can't be racist anymore. (laughs) But, like, you really couldn't make Heather's today. It's like the shooting them in the cafeteria like that. Oh, yeah, you get at least five days suspension. (laughs) They would throw his ass in jail. (laughs) Yes. Uh. I like when people say that they couldn't make the movie today. Me and Michael Lehman are always like, we couldn't make it then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we had to sneak it like i hate the poster for heathers 
just smiley with them with their arms around each other and like yeah. it's so silly and then i hear stories of like that was what let the video store guy rent the movie to even though it was rated dark like they would look at it oh this is gonna be a fun little movie so that shitty poster got us a lot more eyeballs oh yeah i actually don't think i even knew that it was rated r I was definitely able to rent it many times from the video store, which I would go to by myself. Yeah, yeah like if you bring somebody holding an axe, they're going to say, you're too young for this, but like, smiling kids, it's just all fun. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a trailer for it once that had a different name. It was called like Lethal Attraction oh, yeah. or something. Lethal Attraction. Can you believe that that's what they called it in Europe? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Talking about trying to make it horny. The first scene of the trailer is, it's always been a fantasy of mine to have two guys at once. Like, that's no context. Yeah. That's just the little bit line. He was a rebel. Chaos is great. Chaos is what killed the dinosaurs, darling. A romantic. Is this as good for you as it is for me? A guy who swept Veronica off her feet. It's a lot more interesting than just flinging off your clothes and boning away on a neighbor's swing set and into a nightmare. From the first blush of romance. How very. To the last squeeze of the trigger. We're not gonna be using blanks this time. They go all the way. It's not very subtle, but uh, neither's blowing up a whole school now, is it? You know what I want, babe? Lethal attraction. Cool guys like you out of my life. Until death. Do they part? Lethal attraction. Oh my god, your House of the Yes episode, you played the House of the Yes trailer. That could be the worst thing Harvey Weinstein's ever done to somebody, what he did to my brother. That trailer is awful. Did you give your sister her medication? Her name is Jackie. Did Marty tell you about me? How you were. How's that? She lives in a White House. When she came out of the room, Jackie's hand was holding Marty's hand. And she's got her own ideas about family values. It's the wildest place you've ever made love. I can't talk like that about your brother. Pretend he's not my brother, I do. Marty. <laughs> Sometimes it's surprising when I'm editing the podcast and I'll realize that I've never seen the trailer for a movie that I've seen a bunch of times. And I think The House of Yes was one of those where I hadn't seen the trailer until I yeah, put it in the yeah, podcast. It's funny. You guys have not done Thelma Louise yet, have you? No, it's on our list. It's got an awful trailer. <laughs> it's like a Burt Reynolds smoking the bandit movie in the trailer. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> oh, I really like Jan Hook's little cameo. Okay. Let's see. Uh, what I'd like to do first is to put these little glove thingies on you. Our research tells us that voters like fingers. So if we wanted to lose this, we'll... no. We'll do it another time then. Okay, no? Research tells us that voters like fingers. Oh, right. I did Voters like fingers. Oh, those are the scenes that I love, you love. <laughs> like a Batman fan sitting with it, wants his hamburger and is like, what's Jan Hooks doing in my bed? <laughs> I can see why I don't see eye to eye with a lot of Batman fans. But, you know, it's got like a John Waters influence almost in places like that, which is so exciting. Well, you know, all these people getting killed in every Batman movie. Like the biting of the nose was more traumatic to most people than than hundreds of people dying from the bomb. It's like no oh, bomb explosion, hundred people dying, fine. Still could be worse. My nose could be gushing blood. <laughs> Your nose could be. What do you mean by that? Oh! 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 
a mayor. A big nose and eating a fish too. That freak people out more than they think. <laughs> that is so. I've seen it so many times and it still grosses me out to see him just chomping into that fish in his like dirty pajamas. <laughs> it was the thirtieth anniversary screening of Batman Returns in Hollywood, and it was it was great because. Every time I saw the movie when it came out, there's kids crying and people punching the stomach. And it was just like, <laughs> this was an audience that knew they were getting into it and they loved it. But we had a question and answer afterwards. And the guy who got his nose bit was one of the people and he was very funny. Apparently the first time he bit, the blood exploded everywhere over Danny DeVito's face. So Danny DeVito hated him. <laughs> Is it true that Danny DeVito stayed in character? <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> uh, that's not complete. I mean, it's funny. I have a great thing that happened when I wrote the first draft of the script. Everybody's like going crazy over Catwoman. And Danny DeVito takes me aside and goes, Hey, dude, I appreciate the script, but you wrote a Danny DeVito character. <laughs> every line is Danny DeVito. If I'm going to get in this kind of makeup every day, I want something a little more nuanced, a little more complex and rich. And I'm like, Oh my God. I thought I was helping this guy. I thought I was making it easy for him, but it tells me a lot about actors that they want to be challenged. Maybe they want something better than what they're used to doing. So I gave him much more of a dramatic breadth. Yeah, it is very unusual for him. I can't think of any other role where he gets that dark. Yeah, well, it allows him to be epic, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I really like the quick, it's so quick, just that penguin flunky when he steals the baby. I'm not really one for speeches, so I'll just say thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. His one scene, great. That was a great line delivery. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta milk it if you're only on camera for a brief time. Yeah, that goes back to Heather's then. I can't write anybody normal. Even the flunky's gotta get a good line. I can't let the flunky go on upset without a good line. Like, even the cops gotta be funny. Even the teachers gotta be funny. You gotta make sure everybody's got something. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I also love in Heather's all, like, the meaningful names, like... Obviously, like, Betty and Veronica and Finn and Sawyer. But even, like, when she's talking about the petition, she's like, Jennifer Forbes and Doug Hilton. <laughs> that's, oh so that's so funny. Jennifer Forbes and Doug Hilton have many friends of mine, but the other name. Oh, really? Sawyer so that... and Finn, yeah. I thought it was, yeah. like, because rich well, you people. Know, you have to have good names, too. Al Springer is also my good high school friend. Oh. <laughs> Did he French kiss Betty Finn? He kissed Al Springer once. It was a total disaster. Do you know I'm still a virgin? Okay, I, I French kissed Al Springer once. <laughs> it was a total disaster. <laughs> she says, I'm still a virgin, except I kiss Al. <laughs> yeah, you are still a virgin. What are you talking about? <laughs> There's no except. I, I feel insulted that you felt like you had to explain who Al Springer is. Like, I know. <laughs> French kissed Betty Finn. I know who Al Springer is. <laughs> Off you yeah, go. Poor Al Springer. He didn't deserve that. I didn't even tell him he said he was like on a date. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Waters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Alfred, another Alfred line that's so good. Must you be the only lonely man-beast in town? <laughs> Why are you now determined to prove that this penguin is not what he seems? Must you be the only lonely man-beast in town? I just like any time a character calls out the fact that Batman, the hero, is also just a fucking weirdo. <laughs> like when he tells That's Selena, weird. you have a kind of a dark side, and she's like... No darker than you are, I suppose. <laughs> oh my god, Batman was so overwritten the first draft. Because like, he, he tells the <laughs> jokes about himself. Oh really? <laughs> I thought this opening was brilliant, but the first draft was good. You begin, bam, with the Batman logo, the famous Batman logo. And you pull out... And you realize you're in a merchandising store, a Batman merchandising souvenir shop. 
of all these Batman stuff that was sold in Capitalist Batman. And then the store blows up. <laughs> Batman just has all these speeches like, they put me on lunchboxes, but they don't understand. Keaton said, no. <laughs> I mean, I like the merchandising idea, though. You could do that without a lot of speeches. I mean, again, it goes back to, like, the darkness of capitalism. I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, too. He was wrong about that one. <laughs> I laugh when Penguin gives, like, the military pep talk to the penguins. Oh <laughs> it's okay God, to be scared. <laughs> my dear penguin, we stand on a great threshold. It's okay to be scared. Many of you won't be coming back. I always forget about that. Like, true equality will happen whenever his Roger Stones are blown up together. Like, what? Why be my male and female? L, the sexes are equal with their erogenous souls. Blow sky high! <laughs> I know I wrote that. Oh my god, what was I thinking? Like, <laughs> it's great. Oh god. Except my kids get a little stressed out. I've made them watch it at Christmas. They get stressed out about the penguins, even though the penguins are going to be okay. Oh my god, they actually believe that they're real penguins. That's good. Were they not real penguins? Oh, I guess they're real penguins. But when they start getting computerized, you know, when... Oh, oh when they yes. multiply them. They, they <laughs> hack the penguins. <laughs> I guess that's kind of a hot prop for me is on the like radar screen it's the shape of a penguin. <laughs> the penguins seem to be converging on Gotham Plaza. Oh my god. <laughs> you know that climax is not very good. But the woman in the igloo is who sells it. Oh yeah, she's like, so cool. 30 seconds until ignition. Estimated casualties after launch. 100,000 people. The penguins have reached Gotham Square. She makes it work for somehow. She kind of sounds like Isabella Rossellini, and it's a really oh, nice yeah. dry I delivery. know, I for a second thought that's who that was. How did I not know she was in this? <laughs> oh, I really like when Selena says, when she's being menaced by her boss. How can you be so mean to someone so meaningless? Well, I'm writing a novel right now, and I realize I write those kind of lines way too much. Where I take part of the word and make it another word. It's a watersism, but I'll take it. That's great. Right. Oh, I love yeah. it. I love it because it does feel like injustice, but also it's so commonplace. Like, I've been an administrative assistant, and that is just what happens. Is like, you aren't anything to them, but they take all their shit out on you. <sighs> Forgot my speech. And then they push you out a window. <laughs> Go ahead. Intimidate me. Bully me if it makes you feel big. I mean, it's not like you can just kill me. Actually, it's a lot like that. I'm a voice for the working man, what can I say? <laughs> I think it's really funny when when Catwoman's stuck on that parasol. I know it's kind of cheesy, but when Penguin makes her hold the parasol and she starts to fly away, like it reminds me of cats, the musical cats, when they're like floating up to the heavy side layer. I don't know. <laughs> she does a lot of dropping in the movie. Yes. <laughs> Saved by kitty litter. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of starts to fall off a roof and she claws at the roof in a really <laughs> funny way that's oh, yeah. very cat-like yeah, I like when she embraces the cat part <laughs> <laughs> oh god she's so smart too and she teams up with Penguin which I guess is a bit of a prop for me because I really don't feel like she would do that but his idea of just killing him she's like no no 
He'd have even more power as a martyr. To destroy Batman, we must first turn him into what he hates the most. Namely, us. We don't want to make him a martyr. I think that's just such a clever thing to realize. I so. Thank you. <laughs> but when she says that, I'm like, why are you even there? Why are you taking this meeting? <laughs> this guy can't help you. Yeah, it's good to think not too close about her partnership. But thankfully, it ends as fast as it got together. That's true. She realizes it was a mistake to come there as well. <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious to think the end of the movie is not... I mean, because now superhero climaxes are always like, a cloud from another dimension is going to swallow up the city unless the superhero does something. And like, my superhero movie, it's just three people arguing in a cave. Like, you know, <laughs> getting a lot of emotions out of the system. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a fantastic climax, and I really love the conversation between Selena and Bruce, I guess, I mean, because they basically are Selena and Bruce at that point. Selena. Don't you see? We're the same. We're the same. Split right down the center. Selena. Bruce, I would, I would love to live with you in your castle forever, just like in a fairy tale. I just couldn't live with myself, so don't pretend this is a happy ending. Outside life's a bitch, now, so am I, those are my favorite lines of like, don't pretend this is a happy ending. Yeah. I just couldn't live with myself. Yeah. I love that. I feel yeah. like she sees through the artifice of everything and she calls it out and for some reason Bruce is like Bruce is the guy that loves Christmas unequivocally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he believes in magic and then castles and fairy tales and she's just like Okay, you're cute, but <laughs> you're delusional. And then I do like when she says, two lives left, I think I'll save one for next Christmas. Three lives down. You got enough in there to finish me off? One way to find out. Four. Five. Another fun scene of four or five still alive. Just like oh, getting oh. point blank shot. And like, hey kids, it's a good time. <laughs> <laughs> but she, I mean, she does kind of come back. At, well, she does literally come back at the end. That's right. The, oh, yeah. That shot. Yeah. That, one of my fun facts is how much that last shot cost. Oh, how much did it cost? $250,000. No way. <laughs> that's a lot of money. Wow. That's... <laughs> I mean, I think it's because they... They may even have to change the prints because mm. it was so late in the game. It's so funny how I, I tend to kill my female characters in the first draft of my script, but they always end up alive. Yeah. Veronica and Heather's and <laughs> Catwoman. 
<laughs> alive and kind of uh, covered in cysts. <laughs> yes. That's great. Can't get completely off scot-free. <laughs> oh, and another fun fact I have, which is relevant to our interests, because Amy and I also have a podcast about Twin Peaks. Is it true that David Bowie was going to play Max Shrek? Not that they listen to the casting decisions of the writer, but I gave Tim Burton a two-name cast list. Number one, Christopher Walken. Number two, David Bowie. And I think Christopher Walken said yes right off the bat, so we never got to David Bowie. But David Bowie was... He was going to be the cold, chilly version of it. (laughs) (laughs) But he shot Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me instead (laughs) at the same time. I'm not going to talk about Judy. In fact, we're not going to talk about Judy at all. We're going to keep her out of it. Go with the hits. Go with the big hits. (laughs) (laughs) I know, and then he wasn't even happy with that performance, which makes me sad, but I think it's great. (laughs) He's, He's great. Another fun fact I have is how they got all those cats to go ham on (laughs) Selena when she's in the alley is that they put tuna all over her. Oh my God. Wow. I mean, how great is she with her eyes and everything like that? That's all her. That's not CGI. That's so good. She's so good. Oh, I love zombie Selena when she comes back and trashes her apartment. Honey, I'm home. Oh, I forgot I'm not married. A trashing an apartment scene is very fun always, but then, especially when it's kind of lackadaisical. <laughs> like the way she knocks the lamp off is so cat-like, where cats are just kind of like... Yes. <laughs> yes, that's one of my favorite scene. Although I appreciate it more now. When I saw it in the theater, it's a great scene, but everybody around me on it's like, where the fuck's Batman? <laughs> We're 25 minutes in the movie. Mike Eaton hasn't had one line yet. I didn't miss him. <laughs> <laughs> uh. What else does a suicide need, huh? Now, if you'll excuse me. So this is what's called. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I know, I love that even in all your episodes. So keep that headers in the game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I try to work it in wherever I can. Always <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So this is what's called a lunchtime poll. We decided because it's a Christmas movie and it's kind of about a lot of people are having a bad Christmas. You know, that was one thing that they cut from the script for the movie. It's in the comic book version of the movie, but he has all that obsession with power, Max Rec. And when she does the kiss at the end, I wanted the Christmas lights and all the lights of Gotham City to blink on and off. Oh, man. (laughs) That would have been so good. That's Linda Cole, but no! <laughs> They're too cheap. Saving their money for the $250,000 oh, last shot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, too yeah. cheap. They Sometimes. Yeah, then... do that last shot. Save up for that. <laughs> okay, hit me. Bummer Christmas. Well, Christmas. or if you don't want to say a bummer Christmas, you can say your best ever Christmas. Yeah, but... your choice. Oh, my God, I'm going to blow your minds. <laughs> because, should I go first? Yeah. Because my best Christmas is also my worst Christmas. Oh, Perfect. Wow. oh, wow. Perfect. And it ended up being based on my favorite Little House in the Prairie episode, which I'm sure you don't know. <laughs> I, meant, I meant to talk about my upbringing as reading Judy Bloom instead of boys' novels. That's what's infected me and my characters. But anyway, we got snowed in. It was a blizzard. I grew up in Indiana. My brother was a newspaper boy, and we were a test market city in South Bend, Indiana. Oh. They were testing... A new product called Sour Cream and Onion Doritos, <laughs> which ended up being Cool Ranch, but that was many years later. I love they were cool Sour Ranch. Cream and Onion, and he was supposed to put a bag in each paper. We got blizzarded. 
We couldn't go out. It was Christmas, Christmas Eve and Christmas. We couldn't go out of our house. And so for Christmas, all we could eat was little bags of sour cream and Doritos. <laughs> but it was, it was quite a bonding experience. It was kind of special. And my brother and I think it's myth-making that we say it's our best and worst Christmas. Like, we're maybe mythologizing it a little bit, but, you know, <laughs> it's still my answer. That's yeah. great. I love it. That's perfect. I feel yeah. like that's the spirit of Christmas because I love Christmas, but it's still supposed to be a little sad. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's like, oh, hey, what we're going through is just like the TV shows and specials that we watch. <laughs> it's fucking miserable, but it's like drama. Mm. <laughs> but we're together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, it's kind of fun to not be able to have your traditional Christmas dinner and <laughs> just eat Doritos instead. Or... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Because there's a lot of stress involved for people who cook a Christmas dinner. Yeah. That is true. Like and, sometimes. And have to wash up. Okay. <laughs> sometimes plans going awry ends up being like the best times. In theory. Well, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it just yeah, means yeah, like... That's the story we're going with. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go next. My worst Christmas kind of led into a bunch of great Christmases afterwards. It was my sophomore year of college, and I was still flying all the way to Virginia, which is where I came from and moved to Washington for college. And I didn't realize until later that the reason my parents were acting like such assholes is because my dad, <laughs> my mom had found out that my dad had like another family across town. Oh, a what? <laughs> Yo, another family oh across God, town. Thank God they didn't go second. Yeah. And um, my mom was losing her mind and everyone just had a fucking terrible time and the one gift I remember is that I had told my dad that I got into folk music uh, and so he gave me for Christmas he gave me the Jewel CD <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like he was trying because he heard that she was a folk singer oh wow <laughs> that's like a real classic dad move, you know it's yeah. like bad but like he's trying <laughs> yeah he like heard one thing I said <laughs> that's a folk singer yeah. right <laughs> Yeah, and then on the way back, I got stuck in Chicago for 12 hours. And after that, I decided I'm never fucking going back to Virginia for Christmas ever again. And I never did. And then the next... Never. And then until I had kids of my own, I basically ignored Christmas and just went to like one Christmas we went to Cheesecake Factory with some friends. We did like Chinese food karaoke one Christmas. It was just the best like... Early 20s, single life Christmases were fucking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll go. I mean, for me, this was a great Christmas, but it was like maybe not the best for everyone, but maybe it was. I don't know. (laughs) But last Christmas, this past Christmas, so my kids are half the time with me, half the time with their dad. And on Christmas, it's supposed to be they're at one parent for Christmas Eve in the morning and come over to the other parent for the afternoon and then go back to where they were. So this year, I was just that, you know, afternoon Christmas, which is fine. And also, often on Christmas, my best friends, who's my (laughs) extended family, are usually here for the day. And they were like, oh, we're going to Phoenix this Christmas. (laughs) I know. And then also, so my boyfriend and I are new this year, and he has a son. And we weren't sure, like, his ex-wife maybe would not want her son spending Christmas with me, which, you know, it's like, okay, this is your comfort level. (laughs) So I was thinking I was going to be mostly by myself on Christmas. 
And my yoga studio wasn't even doing a Christmas Day class, which they usually do. <laughs> but anyway, so we had this ice storm. So my ex-husband, like right before Christmas, was on a trip. I don't even know where he was. But he didn't make it home because everything was shut down in Seattle. It was crazy. I mean, it was so eerie. You go outside, it's just covered with ice everywhere. <laughs> so he got stuck wherever he was. He wasn't coming back till a couple days after Christmas. These guys never left. <laughs> and yeah. then my boyfriend's ex-wife was like, I just want Christmas morning and then you guys go do whatever you want. So I ended up having, I thought I was going to be by myself. It was nine of us. So everybody else's plans going around <laughs> yeah. worked out great for me. And I know we all watched we, something. These, these, are, these are movie Christmases. It was a movie Christmas. We watched some great, what did we watch? It was something good. Yeah. I feel like we watched something good, but I don't know what it was. Communism was just a red herring. I mean, it was probably Batman by <laughs> Tennant, <laughs> obviously. That's right. Do some editing and make it Batman Returns. Well, I did watch Batman Returns with my younger one this Christmas at some point, mm-hmm. but it wasn't on Christmas Day. Okay, so my for my worst Christmas story, I guess, had to have been like 13 years ago or something, but I'm often like, it's just me and my mom for Christmas. My family, they go visit their in-laws or something, and my mom, I do a lot of caregiving for. Ever since I was in high school, like, she would have me buy presents for the family from her. Lisa, I hope this story is a comeback. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I said it's a... Don't pretend it's a happy ending. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Well, I decided like I'm never going to the mall on Christmas Eve again because I had this one oh, time where I just had a full-on panic attack. I got to the parking garage and I could not find my car. Oh, no. And I'm like walking around. Oh, no. I can't find my car. Oh. And then like I... I had like the security guard drive me around the garage <laughs> looking for oh, my car. On Christmas Eve? <laughs> I found it. Oh my gosh. She's still there. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me it was played by Ron Gosling and all ended very well. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. It's probably Paul Blart. So I stopped trying to make Christmas, like, I had these weird expectations, I think everybody does, and I just, I've really Mm -hmm. let go of that. It's been really freeing and great. (laughs) I like that two of your stories are, I realized Christmas sucks, I let go. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I don't think I love Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) I do. And then my best Christmas, well, my niece was born at 12.20 a.m., December 26th. So, like, that was a really nice Christmas that year. Mm -hmm. So, I guess I'll go with that one. (laughs) It was a nice Christmas, but their birthdays are going to suck. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, her birthday party is usually in September because of that. Yeah. It's just funner to have Junie Day in September. That's that's cool. I know. It's my sister is December eighteenth, and it's like you gotta send a separate <laughs> card. And oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's fair. I understand. Don't Who wants it. to share a birthday with Jesus? <laughs> what a bummer! It should be an honor. It should be an honor. I assume. <laughs> How very.
I have one other thing for Daniel Waters. So my brother lives in L.A. A while ago, I don't know how long ago, some theater was showing one, two, three, and you did the intro for it. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, he loves Heathers as much as I do. And then he saw you in the bathroom and he almost talked to you, but he chickened out. So he wanted me to tell you he says hi. Oh, well. oh he was the guy staring at me going to the bathroom. I remember that. I mean, he did describe it as like an awkward moment of eye contact where <laughs> It was just the two of you, and he almost said something, and then he felt like the moment oh, passed, well. and he couldn't. Well, tell him I definitely need my ego fed once a day. He can run the bathroom, he can shout to me. Right. Even if you're actively urinating. Well, I, I, don't think, I think it was at the sink. That was my sense of it. But. You know, slip a note under the stall. <laughs> I'll do it in Kirk Kelly's handwriting. So. <laughs> you can do it as well as your own. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute blast. Oh, I'm glad you liked it and didn't have too many props. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to clear up for the record about Batman Returns before we go? Oh, I didn't tell you. So we're going to do a sequel. We're going to do a Catwoman movie. Just a Catwoman movie. Oh. Get rid of the problems of Batman. Unfortunately, Tim and I want to do two different movies. Tim want to do a low-budget black and white movie of Slick Hell coming to the small town and hides back his Catwoman. Make a more psychological thriller. And I wanted to do the perfect Batman movie that doesn't have Batman in it. I thought it was a fun script. If Gotham City is New York City... I wanted to go to L.A. Oh. Gotham City, L.A., like a hot, nasty place. And it's run by three superheroes who are complete fucking assholes. This is before anybody did the asshole superhero. Yeah. She wants to lead a quiet life to work at the casino, and the superheroes are such dicks that she's got to bring out the Catwoman suit. And then she gets all the women in the city to dress up as Catwoman. going to have Anne-Margaret in it, different cat outfits, fluffy cat outfits. It was going to be a big climax, and I thought it was good. Oh, but it's oh, never too late. I want to see that movie. Let's do yeah. that. Let's make that movie. Let's get like Margot Robbie. <laughs> you would have liked it. It would have been worthy of a podcast. Yes, oh, yes, for sure. At the time, Warner Brothers just wanted the distraction to get Tim away from Batman so they could bring in Joel Schumacher to make it all silly and stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that's where they went next with it. Instead of leading into the weirdness. It's a huge bummer. Yeah. But I guess it wasn't for me. They accidentally made a Batman (laughs) movie for me and then they never did it again. (laughs) Yeah, maybe 25 years from now when it's the 40th Batman. (laughs) (sighs) I hope I did my my sex proud. My gender proud. You're a credit to your gender. Yes. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for writing Heathers and all of it. When you have somebody come back, make sure that they know they're the second one. Right. (laughs) Yes. The trailblazer. No, I know. There's no one who could follow you. No one possibly. Thank you so much. Okay. See ya. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of Paid in Puke, please take a minute to rate us highly on your preferred podcast listening apparatus. If you did not enjoy this episode, no further action is necessary. Paid in Puke is hosted by Annie Malone, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. Music by Silent Partner. Follow us on Twitter at Paid in Puke Pod, on Instagram at Paid in Puke Seattle, and on Facebook at Paid in Puke Podcast. Thanks for listening. Life's a bitch, now so am I.